today we're going to do uh, a couple of things that are out of the ordinary, and I know that's kind of uh, forbidden in the Baptist church, but uh, we're going to do something that we don't typically do, a couple of things. The first thing that we're going to do out of the ordinary is we're going to take a short diversion out of our study. Usually what we do is if I begin a book, I start at chapter 1 and verse 1 and, and work our way through to the end of it. Uh, many times we don't, uh, don't really take any trips outside of that, but today we are going to do a of course, you know we've been in Luke's Gospel for, uh, for quite some time now. Uh, but this is going to be one of those rare times that we, we, we kind of put the brakes on for a little bit and look at some other stuff that is related to what we've been talking about, and then we're going to pick up in it uh, again later on. Um, another thing we don't often do is look at different passages from different parts of the Bible. Usually what we do is we get in a text and we, uh, we just kind of dig in, set up camp, and try and mine out some gems to take home with us. Um, today we're going to be in several portions of Scripture in both the Old and the New Testament. And so if you take notes, I would encourage you to get a, a pen and a paper if you use your bulletin, uh, something, because I am going to be giving you several texts of Scripture. Um, the first place that we're going to go is First Thessalonians, so I would encourage you to be headed there uh, in your Bible. We're going to be in First Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse uh, 16. <clears throat> first Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. And if you've, uh, when you get to First Thessalonians 5, I'd encourage you to put your bookmark in there or your bulletin or something. And then we're also going to be in the Old Testament book of Numbers for just a little bit. Numbers chapter 23, and we'll start in verse 13. So, First uh, Thessalonians 5, and then Numbers 23, 13. And like I said, we are going to be, uh, I'm going to reference a whole bunch of texts, and so we're not going to have time to flip through the Bible to find all of them. So that's why I said I'd encourage you to write some of these down so that you'd have them, and you can look back at them later if, um, if you want. Now, um, what I'm going to try to do today is I'm going to try to answer some common questions that I have heard and, and continue to hear about prayer. I'm going to try, try to answer some questions I hear about prayer. And, and the reason we're doing this is because the last three weeks that we've met together, we've looked at Jesus' teaching on prayer. We saw the model prayer in the first part of uh, Luke 11. And then he gives us some teaching about being persistent in prayer. You remember he, he talked about, he gave us the word picture of, of going to your friend at midnight and, and so on and so forth. And then he also talked about God's goodness in answering prayer. And so this is just kind of following along with that. But it's uh, unfortunately, you know, sometimes we have questions. And I think sometimes we just wish that the Bible just had like just a, a, a section that just said, Here's your question, and here's your answer. You don't have to compile it all. It's, it's, it's all compiled in one place. Uh, that's not the way the Bible's laid out. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at some different things. It's not going to be an exhaustive look because uh, that's, that would be a whole lot to deal with, and we're going to be dealing with uh, several texts. So um, as we work our way through some of the questions, uh, one of the refrains that you might hear over and over again is, Why pray? Why pray? And I think as followers of Christ, we recognize that it's important to pray. It's necessary to pray. It's essential to our faith to pray. Uh, and so I don't, I don't think we, we really ask this question like an objection, like a scoffing, What's, why pray? That's, that, that doesn't make any sense. But I think many times it's more of like a, a genuine question because what we do is we'll see a truth in Scripture and we'll say, well, since this is true, then why, why pray? What's the purpose of prayer? Why does God have us do these things. And so uh, the Bible has all kinds of answers about why to pray. And I'm going to give you one today, and that's the one we're going to look at in 1 Thessalonians 5. So if you found 1 Thessalonians 5 and you're able, I'd ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. We'll pick up in verse 
uh, 16 and just read three verses. Paul writes and says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thank you, may be seated. So the first reason I want to give you to pray, and like I said, this is the only one we're going to focus on, but the first reason I want to give you to pray is because that's what God says to do. I mean, God says it is His will for you and for me as a Christian to pray. Now, many times, as I said before, we, we may not understand it, and He doesn't say pray once. What does the Bible say in the text that we just read? He says pray without ceasing. Now, this does not mean that 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, we have to be on our knees with heads bowed and eyes closed and, and, and in prayer to God. That's not what he's talking about. He's not even saying every waking hour we need to walk around with our eyes closed muttering a prayer to the Lord. But what he's saying is throughout the day, it should not be a difficulty for you to go to, the God, to God in prayer. It should be a natural, easy thing for you to do. It, it doesn't have to be a long, elaborate prayer. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, you don't have to t- take a pause out of your day and say, okay, now everybody, I need you to be quiet for just a little bit, because I'm going to pray. It, it's nothing like that. It's just a quick, short, many, many times it's just a few words, uh, simple, to the point prayer to God about whatever the situation is. You know, sometimes, I'll give you an example. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. The, the, the kids come up and say, hey, I, got a, I have a question about the Bible. And then what do you say? Oh, Lord, help me, right? Because you, or maybe it may be your coworker. Hey, and when they lead out with this, you, you probably pray. Hey, you go to church, don't you? That's when you start saying through the quick prayers. And, and that's what he's talking about. He's saying, in, in, in all of life, we have things that come up, and we should always have an attitude of prayer. And, and whenever these things come up, you pray and, and, and offer it to God, ask for wisdom or whatever it is, and and that's what he's calling us to. He says, pray without ceasing. Be, be always in an attitude of prayer. Now, I say all this because sometimes, as I said before, people will see whatever truth it is in the Scripture, and they will say, since this is true, then what's the purpose of prayer? And what I'm telling you is, even if you don't understand how all the pieces fit together, God says to pray. So if you don't have any other reason to do it, being obedient to what he says his will is, is reason enough. You, you know, as, as, a, as a kid, sometimes our parents would tell us to do something, and we may not understand why they said to do it. You didn't need, a, you didn't need an explanation. The only reason you needed to do it was because that's what your parents told you to do. And sometimes it's like that with, with God and us. We may not understand it all. We may not be able to fit all the pieces together. But the only reason that we have to have is because God said do it. Okay, so the first reason to pray, even if we don't have all the pieces and questions figured out and answered, is because God said pray. Now, it would be enough if God said one time in the scripture, pray. But this is definitely not the only time that the Bible says to pray. So if you have your pen or or pencil handy, uh, you might jot these down. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7. Jesus says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Matthew 21, 22. In all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Mark eleven twenty five. Jesus says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. Romans 12, 12. He calls on people to be, quote, devoted to prayer. Philippians 4, 6. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by what? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. 
Let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. 1 Timothy 2.1, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Jude 1.20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. There are others as well. The Bible tells us over and over again by direct command to pray. We see it in the example of the apostles. We see it in the example of Jesus. Over and over again, the Bible says, pray. So, again, why pray? Even if you can't figure everything out, why pray? God said do it. That's, that's, that's a, 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 an excellent reason to do it. Now, I wanted to move on and, and deal with some of the questions, and, and some of them are even borderline objections. Now, you don't have to turn there, but you might jot these scriptures down. Uh, the first is Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. And here's what it says. It says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish my good pleasure. And then another is Romans 11, verses 33 and 34. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became His counselor? Now I give you those for this reason. These two texts, among other things, tell us that God knows what? Everything. Isaiah specifically says... He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows every extenuating circumstance. He knows every contingency. Now I'm going to hit you with the $5 theological word. Omniscience. Omni means all and science means knowledge. He has all knowledge. He has exhaustive knowledge of all things that are knowable. He knows everything and, and His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're, they're as far above us as the heavens are above the earth. He knows everything. And so the question that comes up is, and people honestly ask this, if God knows everything, rather, since God knows everything, what's the purpose of prayer? Have you ever asked, wondered that to yourself? Maybe you've asked somebody that? If God knows everything, since God knows everything, why pray? Well, if, if, if He knows what's going on, he knows the situation. He knows the outcome. He knows every contingency. He knows what will happen, what could happen. Why pray? If He knows what I need better than I know, before I know, then why do I pray? Seems like quite a conundrum, doesn't it? But listen, you know the answer to this. Because think about it. What's the assumption behind that question. The assumption behind the question is the sole purpose of prayer is to impart knowledge to the Almighty. Is that not the whole assumption behind that question? The whole assumption is that we have to tell God what's going on. Now, Paul says, Who has known the mind of God? Who has been his counselor? In other words, to whom does God go for advice? Where does God go for a news update? Does he look at 
Fox, CNN, who's to know? Does he turn on Newsmax for something a little outside the mainstream? Does he come to Jeff and say, hey, Jeff, what have you heard going on in your world lately? Is that what God does? No, God doesn't need us. He doesn't need to turn on the news channel. Sometimes I turn on the news not very often, and when I did, I wish I hadn't. And I look at it, and I just say, man, there's just so much going on, and you can't keep all of it straight. Things are changing so quickly, and, and stuff's happening all over the world. And I know stuff's always happened all over the world, but now we know about it because this is we're all connected in all these ways. And it's just overwhelming. Listen, it doesn't overwhelm God. He doesn't need a news update. He doesn't need us to fill him in. He doesn't need us to, to tell him what's going on because he already has complete, perfect knowledge of everything that's knowable. But it's the sole purpose of prayer to tell God what's happening. No. And I will submit to you, it's not any, it's not any purpose of prayer to tell God what's happening biblically. Because there are all kinds of prayers in the Bible. For instance, there's a prayer petition. That's when we ask God for something. We petition God. We, we re- make a request of God to meet some need. There's, there's intercession where we pray for someone or needs of somebody else. There's, uh, uh, there's thanksgiving, which is thanking God. There's prayer and, and uh, praise and adoration where we ascribe worth to to God for who He is and for what He's done. Uh, when, when you look in the Psalms, many of them are prayers. And along with those things I've already mentioned, we have prayers of lament. What's a lament? It's when you're singing the blues. A, a lament is when we go to God and we say, God, have you, ever, have you ever said this? At least maybe you didn't say it to Him because you felt like maybe it was irreverent. Have you ever said, God, how long... How long, will you, how long will you ignore your servant? How long will it be till you act? Have you forgotten me, God? And you look at the Psalms, and that's all throughout the Psalms. Over and over. We, we have the, the prayer of, 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 of pain and anguish as you experience grief and loss. That's prayer. That, that's, that is lament. Uh, another type of psalm, and, and this is something you can actually pray, is an imprecatory psalm. This is not something you put on your Christmas card. The, the, the imprecatory psalms are the ones where you, the, the psalmist would pray that God would deal with his enemies. And sometimes he would get kind of, kind of mean it sounded in them. God break out their teeth and all kinds of things. Let me tell you, don't pray that on me, please. Um, but all these things are, are different types of prayers. And one, one of the things you don't see in the psalms or anyplace else, you don't see... The psalmist or any of the other people saying, God, now here's a list of, the, of today's happenings. Just in case you were behind on things. Here's my schedule. Just in case you don't have my calendar. God doesn't need information. He doesn't need advice from us. So his knowledge of all things is no reason not to pray. Because prayer is not about filling God in. But that just kind of raises another issue, doesn't it? If God knows all things, since he knows all things, and he has a will, he has a plan, do our prayers change his mind? Because we just read in Isaiah, God said, my purpose will be established. 
and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. The Bible speaks, if, you, if you're writing this down, here's a couple more. Um, in Ephesians 1.11, the Bible speaks of God who works all things after the counsel of His will. Or Psalm 115 and verse 3. But our God is in the heavens, He does whatever He pleases. Psalm 135 and verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In, the, in, the, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. In other words, God has a plan. He is sovereign. He is in control of all things. We can't thwart His plan. We can't hinder Him. We can't stop Him. We can't slow Him down. God does what He wants. And, and all the nations, Psalm 2 says, all the nations will rage. They make their plans. They shake their fists at God. And what does the Bible say God does? Does He tremble? Does He worry? The Bible says He scoffs. He holds them in derision. So if He reigns over all things, He's going to accomplish His plan. If that's the case, do our prayers change God's mind? Do they change His plan? And if so, how do, how do our prayers interact with that predetermined plan? Flip it around the other way, and I think this is really the bigger question that people have. If our prayers do not change God's mind, if His plan is fixed, then what's the point of prayer? Why pray? If God is going to accomplish His will, no one can succeed against Him and His will. What's the effort? What, what, what's the point of the effort of praying? Because Job 42, verses 1 and 2 says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now, I'd like you to look at Numbers 23, the other passage I told you to, to find. Because there are actually a couple of times in the Bible where we see people, one of them is explicit, the other is implied. We're going to look at the explicit one where people, somebody tries to change God's mind. And I, I want you to notice in these two examples how consistent, how similar the response of those two is. Now, before we get to the text that we're going to look at, I just want to set it up because otherwise it's not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. The Israelites came out of Egypt. We know all about that. Red Sea parts and, and all that. They're going throughout the land and they end up fighting some of the people of the land, the Canaanites. And so uh, one of the groups they fight are the Amorites and, and so forth. And so there's another Canaanite group called the Moabites. Moab is the nation's name. And they have a king, the Moabite king named Balak. So Balak finds out what's happening with the Israelites as they're coming through the land Everybody is coming out to fight them. God's always defeating them and, and, and so forth. And so he says, what, must, what can we do to try and get these Israelites? And I'm filling in. Uh, this is my elaboration. They say, let's get a prophet to curse the Israelites. And so what he does is he sends for a prophet named Balaam. Now, Balaam was a, a real scoundrel. And so he would, he would do this stuff for money. You had to pay him good for it. And so the king says, if you will prophesy and curse these um, Israelites, I'll give you a whole bunch of money. And Balaam says, now, king, that's okay, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say whatever God says to say. You just need to know that. And the king says, all right, that's fine. So he takes him up on this spot where he can see all the people. They're, they're camped down in this valley. And he says, Balaam, curse these people. 
And so Balaam goes off. They offer sacrifices, do all these things. Balaam goes off, gets a word from God, and God says, here's what you need to say. And it's a blessing instead of a curse. So he goes, and he blesses the people. And Balak about has a coronary, because he's paying this guy all this money. And he's like, what are you doing? Uh, well, actually, you can... Uh, it, it, well, it's back a couple verses before that. Balaam, uh, Balak is like, what are you doing? I hired you to curse them. And here you're blessing them. And Balaam says, hey, I told you I'd just say what God said. And so Balak says, you know what? I don't like their answer that God gave. Let's try it again. And I'm going to try and change his mind. Only instead of doing it over here, let's go over yonder. And I want you to look at him from over there. Maybe God will have a different answer over there. Doesn't make any sense, does it? But anyway, that's what they do. So, look at Numbers 23, verse, uh, starting in verse 13. Then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from where you may see them. That's where I just got to. Although you will only see the extreme end of them, and you will not see all of them, and curse them for me from there. So he took him to the field of Zophim, to, top, uh, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. So they're up on, on these mountains. And he said to Balak, Stand here beside your burnt offering while I myself meet with the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak, return to the king, and thus you shall speak. He came to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the leaders of Moab uh, with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? So what has the king just tried to do? He's tried to get a different answer from God because he didn't like the one he had. Let's see if we can change God's mind. Let's, let's approach him from a different angle and see if we can get a different answer. Let's see if this case, this time he will curse the people. Look at the response, verse 18. Then he took up his discourse and said, Arise, O Balak, and hear, give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? And then he proceeds to bless them. Now, did he catch that key part in there? When the king tried to change God's mind and get a different answer, the response is, God is not a man, and he will not lie, nor will he repent. Now, to repent means to have a change of mind. So he specifically says, God does not change his mind. Likewise, and this is one you might just write down, 1 Samuel 15. You remember, the first king of Israel was Saul. And he was, not, he was, he was a scoundrel too. He started out good, but then he ended up uh, going off the deep end. And, and one of the things that he did was he was going out to fight all these, all these battles. And all the people were, were with him. And Samuel was supposed to show up. He was the prophet. And he was supposed to offer these sacrifices. And, and, and the people were, were, were going to take comfort in that, be encouraged by, by that, that God was going to be with them. But Samuel was late. And so Saul begins to see all these people that are starting to desert because Samuel's not showing up. So they lose heart. They begin to leave. And so Saul takes it upon himself to offer the sacrifices that only the prophet was supposed to do. And just as he gets done doing that, here comes Samuel. He comes riding up. And Samuel says, what are you doing? This, and this is, again, my, my expansion. That, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. You, you've gone too far now, king. Because of this, God is taking the kingdom away from you and giving it to someone better, to, to, to King David. And so as he turns, King Saul grabs his robe and rips it. 
And evidently, as, as he's going, he, he grabs it, and I can just imagine he's, he grabs hold of him to, to plead with him, to, 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 to get a different answer. Because here's what it says in 1 Samuel 15, verses 28 and 29. So, so he ripped this garment. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel, and here's why I say that he was probably pleading, though the Bible doesn't record his words, because here's, here's Samuel's response. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. So what do these texts tell us plainly? God does not change his mind. He does not repent. So what do we make of all those texts in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, where something will happen, some, some judgment will be promised, and then the Bible says that God repents, or God relents. Some trans- e- translations even render uh, some of those, those terms, God changed his mind. What do we do with those? Well, there are two key considerations whenever we read those. The first is that there are, two, there are a couple different types of, of texts in the Bible. One is narrative, and that is one that it records an account and I hate to use the term it tells a story because we think of that as fiction but it, it tells the story it, it records what has happened in narrative form and what it does is it uses and here, here's a $10 word because it has even more syllables phenomenological language and you say pastor speak English we don't do speaking in tongues I don't understand you need an interpreter what does that mean it means it records things the way it appears and we're familiar with that today, even on the news, when we do watch it, because what is, especially around this time of the year, the, the newscast will include stuff about deer hunting, right? And so what does the new ca- newscast say? It says, sunrise is at, sunsets at whatever time. That's phenomenological language. Does the sunrise, does the sunset, does it move? No. It, the sun's still, it's the earth that's moving. The phenomenon, the appearance is, the sun moves across the sky. So when the Bible records these events, it uses phenomenological language. It's, uh, it's, it's recording the way things appear from a human earthly perspective. That's the first thing that, that we need to recognize. There is another type of literature called didactic. That means it teaches. Okay? So, um, so the, the, the Bible tells us about Jonah. What happened in, in the book of Jonah? Jonah's the unwilling prophet. He goes to Nineveh. He, is, he doesn't want to be there. His message is short and sweet. He says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Did God overthrow Nineveh in 40 days? No, no, okay. Just making sure we, we're, we're good on this. So he said, 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days, it didn't get overthrown. And the Bible records in, in Jonah chapter 3 that God relented or God repented of this claim that he was going to bring. And that brings us to the second consideration that we need to keep in mind. And that is that, that when we have these, uh, these, these changes, um, the change is, is not in the character or the nature or the purpose or the plan of God, but rather the change is in His action. And the reason for the difference is because the circumstance has changed. You say, well, Pastor, I don't under- what, what are you talking about with Nineveh, for instance? God said... My summation, my paraphrase, y'all are, gonna, you're, y'all are going down because of your wickedness. Forty days and you'll be overthrown. 
God didn't overthrow them. They, weren't, they didn't experience judgment. Here's why. Jonah 3.10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, because when they heard the message of Jonah, they repented. Sackcloth and ashes. Man, woman, child. They put on the animals. When they heard the message, they turned from their wicked way. Therefore, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now, if they would have stayed in their original condition, what would have happened? Forty days, bam, hammers drop. They didn't stay in their original condition. The circumstance changed. Therefore, God, his activity, his action changed toward them because they were in a different relationship with him. Likewise, what about Moses? You remember he comes down from the, from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. I always think of Charlton Heston. He's got the big old tablets. He's got the large print edition. And he's got them. He comes down. There are the people. They're celebrating. They're doing all this, this craziness. But they're not worshiping God. They're worshiping a golden calf. Moses is extremely angry. God's even madder. And God's mad enough to wipe them out. He's, he's mad enough to just wipe them off the face of the earth and, and raise up people through Moses. And what did Moses do? You remember? He interceded to God on behalf of the people. Now, There's a new situation now. Because God's purpose was always to have the Israelites endure because who was to come through Israel? Jesus, the Messiah. And if Israel gets wiped out right away, there goes the promise of the Messiah. So God's purpose didn't change, but his actions toward the people are different because now we have something new that's introduced, which is the intercession of Moses. And so God responded to that, and he kept he, he worked out his purpose, the preservation of Israel, because of the prayers of his people, in this case, Moses. So, since all this is true, let's bring it back together. Why pray? How does this fit together? Well, if God's going to bring about his plan, if it's certain, if we can't thwart it, if we can't hinder it, if we can't stop it, if we can't change God's mind, why does God say to pray? Because God ordains the ends as well as the means. Here's what I mean. Let's apply it closer to home. Let's say God has ordained an end. Let's say he's, he's ordained for you to marry your soulmate. Now, should you say... You know what? Because God's going to bring me somebody. I don't need to talk to anybody. I don't need to leave my house. I'll just have everything. I'll just have Amazon ship it all right to my door. Now, that kind of sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't have to visit with anybody. I don't even have to look at anybody. And God's going God's to bring me somebody. Maybe, I guess they'll just have to break in my house and we'll just strike up a conversation cat burglar style hey how you doing you want to go on a date maybe that's what's going to happen i don't know but if god's doing it if he's going to bring it about there's no point there, there's no point in me even speaking to anybody does that make any sense no because if god's ordained the ends you get married he's ordained the means which means you got to talk to somebody got to go on a date with them most likely preferably for some some long time now what about this what if what if two nations go to war? 
And God has ordained that nation A is victorious in that war. Should they just say, you know what? God's ordained for me to, to our nation to be victorious. Let's just go ahead and bring all the military back home. And better yet, let's just, just disband them. You know, because if, God if, if God's ordained the, the ends, it's going to happen. What's the point of even doing anything? Is that what you got to do? No. Because, unfortunately, sometimes activity has to happen. What if, and here's one, something that I've heard a lot of people say, what if God has ordained that person A is going to go to heaven? And it's part of his plan that that person will get saved. Have you ever heard or maybe thought, well, if that person is going to be saved, what's the point of even telling them the gospel? What's the point of doing missions work? What's the point of giving to Annie Armstrong, Lottie Moon, or any of the others? Why, if, if, if that's going to happen, and God knows it's going to happen, he has perfect knowledge of all events, and he knows that they're going to be saved, and, and all, the, all the rest, then what's the purpose of even telling them the gospel? Because it's going to happen. You ever heard that? Thought that? Well, God has ordained the ends, but he's also ordained the means. And what's the means? The means is that people get saved when they hear the gospel. And so if that person's going to be saved, they need to hear the gospel. Because that's the power of God unto salvation. So I say all that to say this. When we pray, God will accomplish his plan. But God many times does that he he accomplishes that plan by answering the prayers of his people just like with Moses and the Israelites when we pray it's one way that God uses to accomplish his will it's not that God is standing behind somebody with a gun saying you better do this or else sometimes God will answer he will hear and respond to intercession as we pray for others and so forth. And it's a blessing to us because while we don't make God's plan happen, listen, we get to be part of his will being exercised and accomplished on this earth. That is a benefit for us. Now, there were other things that I had planned on talking about initially. Which person of the Trinity should we pray to, and, and so forth? But we've we've gotten we, we, we've we've spent a lot of time here on this. What is the the long and short of this? In short, we ought to pray, pray without ceasing, lift up your prayers and your petitions to God, because they make a difference. They don't bend God's will to ours. It's not that. Like, if you, if you misapplied that, that story he told about going to the friend at midnight and the friend just gave him what he wanted because he's just tired of hearing him knock on the door and bothering him, if you misapplied that, you might think, well, if I just annoy God enough, I'm going to get what I want. Hey, God, 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 I, God, God, are you hearing me? God, God. And that, that's not the way it works. Listen, we don't bend God's will to our will. We don't manipulate God. We don't cajole him or force him or guilt him into acting. God works through the prayers of his people to accomplish his will. And in the process, our faith is deepened because we have prayed and God has answered that prayer. And God is glorified because we can say, you know what? Hallelujah. Amen. We prayed and God answered. 
And then other people hear about it and they say, Hallelujah, God hears and answers prayer, and they can worship and thank God as well. Prayer is not about getting our will done on earth. It's about getting His will done on earth as it is in heaven. Our problem is many times we don't know what to pray. Thankfully, we have a helper, the Holy Spirit. He helps us as we pray. And it may be that you have some, some need, some issue in your life. You, don't, you need to bring it to God. You don't know how to pray. Listen, God, the Holy Spirit, speaks on our behalf. He intercedes for us. Romans tells us very plainly, with groanings too deep for words. And he will take the prayers of the saints when we don't know what we should pray, and he'll transform them into something acceptable to God. And listen, you may, know, may not know what to pray. Sometimes you just pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in this situation. I don't know what that is, but God, you don't need my advice anyway. Here's the need. Please meet it. In just a minute, we're going to have a time to respond. Again, I would encourage you to pray. Even if you've been praying for a long time, decades, about whatever situation it is, pray again. Pray believing that God will hear and he will answer that according to his will. One of the prayers, and I, I've mentioned this before, but one of the prayers that he always answers, and we know what his will is, is the prayer of faith. Because it could be that you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. And the Bible tells us very plainly that it is God's will that people repent. The Bible says he has commanded all people everywhere that means you, that means me, to repent. And it is, a, it is a pleasing thing to God. It is His will to repent, to turn from your sin, to have a change of mind about your sin and about God and His holiness and who He is. And to put your faith in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Because the Bible says if you will do that, Christ will in no wise cast you out. In other words, in other words you come to Him guaranteed 100% you come to him in faith you will be saved why don't you stand with me as musicians come and as you stand I ask you bow your heads and close your eyes and just in the, the quiet of this time I encourage you to take whatever need it is that you have. Again, maybe it's a, a, a family member that needs Christ. Maybe it's a work situation, a health or family situation, a wayward child, a wayward grandchild, anxiety about the future. Whatever it is, bring that to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have made a way for us to come to you. And God, we know that we don't pray nearly often enough. God, I pray that um, even now, 
as we lift up our hearts to you, that you would do your will in each of these situations that are being raised to you. And God, we thank you that you answer according to your will and not ours because, frankly, we don't know what we're talking about most of the time. And we're thankful that you know better than us. And like that good father, you, he, in, in Jesus' story, you don't give us a scorpion for when we ask for an egg. You don't give us a stone instead of a loaf. You give us good gifts. And God, I pray that if there's somebody who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, that you would draw them to yourself today.